My name is Florian Lum. My name is Klaus Bondam. Can one voice make a difference for the environment? Absolutely. I've learned that you are never too small to make a difference. We love the earth. It is our planet. I care about climate justice and a living planet. Fighting climate change has become the greatest responsibility of our times. One voice, one person, can inspire the world. Change is coming. We are going to talk about the most obvious green behavior we can meet in Denmark. Of course, I'm talking about the Danish habit and infrastructures regarding bicycles. I mean, it is impressive. 9 out of 10 Danes own a bike, while only 4 out of 10 Danes own a car. Wow! But I wanted to know how biking and bike paths, which means which seems such a big problem to implement almost everywhere, is in Denmark, and especially in Copenhagen, implemented for a while now. To caricaturize, why a long time ago already, while the cars were expanding everywhere, including here, bike paths were built and people were taking the use of biking on a daily basis? There are many answers to this so interesting question and that is why I'm so glad to introduce to you Klaus Bondam, CEO of the Danish Cyclist Federation, who answered this so right. My name is Klaus Bondam. Uh, I'm 57 years old. Uh, I am the CEO of the Danish Cyclist Federation. I've been in this office for almost eight years and prior to that, I was a member of the city council in Copenhagen for 10 years and served as mayor for the technical and environmental administration for four years and uh, one year uh, in the administration for integration and employment. And prior to that, uh, I'm trained as a professional actor and used to be a theater manager for many years also in Copenhagen. And prior to that, when I was very young, I was a customs officer for four years. But that's a, yeah, a long story. And I'm actually also running for parliament. Uh, at the whenever the election comes in Denmark, but sometime uh, within the next two years. This episode is going to be only informative since there are so many interesting things to say all around this topic. The Danish Cyclist Federation is a member organization that can be defined as an established stakeholder in the Danish discussion of transportation and mobility. But Klaus will tell you more about it. The Danish Cyclist Federation uh, is uh, a very old organization. We were founded in 1905, so uh, more than 100 years, 116 years. I think we are the second oldest uh, uh, everyday cycling advocacy organization in Europe. So you two want to understand why Copenhagen is today a city allowing people to move by bike everywhere, every time. Listen to the first answer that Klaus gave us. But you will understand later on in this episode that it's much more complex than one single answer. 
to one complex question. I think there are many reasons to why we are a cycling city and why a lot of the Danish cities are cycling cities. Um, I think one thing is the climate. I mean, it's never too hot or too cold, very seldom it's, it's too cold here. Uh, we are a very flat country. Our cities are not enormously big. I mean, if you have to go from one side of Paris to the other side of Paris or from one side of London to the other side of London, I mean, I think at least with London, I think we're around 36 kilometers. That's quite a distance. Uh, but our cities are much smaller. I mean, there's around 600,000 people living in the city of Copenhagen. So the city is very accessible. I mean, if, if it's flat, if the climate's good, Uh, of course, if the infrastructure is there. And why is the infrastructure there? Because, I mean, that was not built uh, the last 10 years. I mean, that has been a, 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 a development starting already uh, yeah, around, I think, the turn of the century, probably. Or 1903, I think, was the first bike lane in Copenhagen. And the reason for that is, uh, first of all, that, that, that a lot of Danish cities, like many European cities, cities were work, worker cities. There was a lot of work people who were workers who lived in the city. They were not very rich. Uh, traditionally, cars have been very expensive in Denmark uh, because, as, as you probably are aware, we have a very strong welfare state. Uh, but a part of, of course, having a strong welfare state is that you have a high level of taxation. And that's tax on work, but it's also tax on uh, cigarettes, alcohol, uh, matches, <laughs> all sorts of uh, chocolates, candy, and cars. Car taxation has historically been very, very high in, in Denmark. So if you were a uh, low-income, low-middle-income person, uh, affording your first car was, uh, I mean, that was something. I mean, you had to work a long time to be able to afford that if you also had a family. So that's one side of it. So if, if you wanted, I mean, if you were a young family uh, with not so many money, but you still wanted to be able to go out to the beach or go to the forest, and now I'm again referring to, to a small city, because going to the beach is not very far away from Copenhagen. Going to the forest is not very, very far from Copenhagen. Going to real countryside is not very far from Copenhagen. So, so, so that's one side of it. The other side of it, I think very importantly, is that, that Denmark never had a car industry. Uh, like France, like Germany, like Sweden, like United Kingdom, like Belgium, we like Spain, we never had a car industry. So there was never, there was never the industry's ability to kind of influence local politicians on how do you design your cities. Of course there was, I mean, It's not a rosy red picture in the sense that, that, especially after the Second World War and in the 60s, Copenhagen was about to take exactly the same development as a lot of other European cities. Um, there are the beautiful three lakes running through uh, the inner city in, in Copenhagen. It's a part of an old fortification system. But back in 69, there were plans to cover those lakes and build a highway uh, over them. And when you see it today, you can think, oh, this is strange. I mean, why on earth did people ever think that there should be a highway going through such a beautiful area in the city? But it's important to understand, back there in the 60s, I mean, the car was uh, the way to freedom. Uh, moving out to the suburbs were a part of this 
uh, post World War II life, and I mean, it was also needed in the city uh, of, of uh, like uh, like Copenhagen because that was also worn down not only after the Second World War but also in the fifties and the sixties and the seventies. I mean, when this whole suburbanization happened, but 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 this there was a very strong public protest against this project in '69 with covering the the lakes uh, with a highway. And I think that led to a change of the mindset in our city that, uh, that, that, that it was kind of the Copenhagen identity that uh, we wanted to be a clean capital, we wanted to be a place where kids could grow up, we wanted uh, the ground to be, uh, to, 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 I mean, don't be cleaning up after all the, the old industry that had been in the city. So I see. I think there has been a, a very strong political consensus on building a very, very on creating a very strong modern uh, capital with a very high level of livability. And I, I and I believe that I mean from far left to far right politically, there is a consensus uh, on that this has been a good idea. And that has of course over the years led to a huge investment in uh, segregated bicycle infrastructure and very well connected bicycle infrastructure so 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 it's it is it is a combination of what the people wanted but also on quite strong political leadership and it's important for me to say it was not me personally i mean there were people before me and there has been people after me who are very concerned on this, uh, but it's, it's it's been very high on the political agenda in in, in the city, and, um, and that's what I always say to people who want to make more bike friendly cities. I, I I always say, get your politicians on board. Make sure that there's political leadership on this agenda. If of course politicians follow the public opinion, they have sometimes to make decisions that divides the population. And Klaus Bonham explained this so right as a politician himself. I had some experiences. We have a big street just around the corner from here, Nørrebrogade, which when I was a, a mayor, we decided to close that for through passing car traffic. From an environmental perspective or a modern urban perspective, it's of course a very good and clever thing to do. Uh, but... I can tell you there were so many people who were so angry. I mean, oh, the shopkeepers will never have anybody coming to our shops any longer and you're killing business life in the in the city. And and I have to say, I mean, in, in those days, I mean, I got some really heavy, not very kind mails. And I mean, that's not nice. You can disagree, but you have to disagree in a, in a I think, in a productive tone uh, when you have the power you of course have to listen to the resistance you have to listen oh there is some opposition about this you have to argue or you really have to take into consideration can we do something about this can we take it into I mean do they have a point or don't they have a point but you also have to accept that one day you just have to make a decision and I can tell you about Nørrebrogel I mean this is 10 years ago that we closed it there is a flourishing business life. It's one of the great streets in the city today, uh, but it's just a city without private. It, it's a street without private cars, and that's. Uh, I mean, that I think that's a good thing. There are very wide lanes for cyclists, and about business life, the funny thing as a cyclist is, as a cyclist, you shop impulsively. You go on your bike, 
You see a bookshop and you think, oh yeah, I have to buy that book. I'll just stop and buy that book. Or, oh, there's a really nice shirt. I'll stop and buy that. If you're in the car, you never do that. I mean, so, and I, I mean, I sometimes joke about when people say, ah, oh, but the people, people can't carry things away on a bike. And I'm like, okay, please tell me when was the last time you bought something that you could not carry on a bicycle? I totally understand if you have to buy a washing machine, you can carry it on a cargo bike. But if you're not trained, I will, I will recommend you to, to, to get it either delivered or bring it in a car. But most things are with the right bags uh, totally possible to, I mean, a book, a pair of trousers, uh, some milk, it's possible to carry on a bike. In other words, it is important to understand that it didn't happen in a snap. People needed to realize what are the benefits of riding a bike every day, but also that it was not a risky practice. I think it, it has been possible here because it came step by step by step. Uh, I think there's a lot of people in Copenhagen and even the greater Copenhagen area that uh, has have experienced that going taking their bike in the morning to work brings them much quicker to the work than by car. Also, if you work in the inner city area, there are no park spaces. I mean, if I had to bring my car into this office, which I would never dream of being the Science Federation, and I do have a car, but if I should bring my car in here, I would have to pay around 50 euros per day to park it. And I mean, I don't want to use the money I earn on that. Uh, I'd rather use them on, on something else. So I think a lot of people basically experience that uh, this is by far the uh, most efficient way to get around the city and also the, most, the, 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 the cheapest way. And the funny thing is that is also the answer that you get if you ask the Copenhagens why they, they cycle. 55% say it's easy and 46% says it's faster. And then actually also 46% say it's uh, for the exercise. So, so, and that is also a part of it that in a busy daily life with work, career, children, marriage, uh, all the things you have to do, uh, this finding time to go to the gym can be difficult for a lot of people or go out running, but using uh, you an everyday bike ride as a kind of your daily exercise can be a very, very easy way. And the funny thing is that when you ask people who did not cycle before and then they start to cycle, you get the answer. Oh, I suddenly feel I have more energy. I feel more fresh. I actually sleep better. It's uh, and it's quite obvious, but sometimes it takes some convincing. And you have to combine this with with there there, there is a, a completely understandable uh, desire to be able to bike in safe and secure uh, uh, connections or infrastructure. I mean, you are not you are not willing to cycle. Uh, if it feels very unsafe or you feel very uncomfortable doing it or you feel that you are really driving I mean with the life in your hands and you're like you pray oh please let me survive let me survive I mean that that might get some I normally call them urban warriors I mean that that might get some you know really hardcore people to kind of who have the courage to do that but if you want completely ordinary people like you and me to jump on a bicycle I mean I, I, I think it's a, a, a totally fair uh, 
how can you say, command or, or, or requirement to have that it of course has to be safe. It's a bit like public transport. I mean, I expect it to be safe. I expect the infrastructure when I bike to, 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 to be safe and well connected. As a politician from the left party, but not socialist, Klaus Bendam claims for a democratic approach to everyday cycling. He gives us an example. Should we have a bike lane or should we have place for park cars? And for me, it is not so difficult to answer that question because I will always answer, I think we should have the uh, bicycle lane there because that gives, that gives mobility to a lot more people than just giving one single person uh, about 10 square meters uh, of the city uh, just to use for his or her private individual car. So for me, there is an enormous democratic approach to everyday cycling. Because I think when we are in a, in a city where we are a lot of people who have to share the space, it is completely unfair that one person should be allowed to take up so much space with a machine, the car, that is actually not in use 95% of the time. According to Klaus, to make a city cyclo-friendly, it has to start with the children. Here in Denmark, it's kind of a big tradition. We have a strong, we used to have, because it's actually dropping these years, we used to have a very, very strong tradition of uh, children cycling. It was seen as something that every parent should learn their kid was to use the bicycle. Uh, you experienced as a child an enormous freedom on your bicycle. I mean, you were allowed to go by yourself around in your community. Of course, I mean, there were, especially in the city, there were some restrictions where would your parents allow you to go. I'm a country kid myself, but, but, but I just remember this enormous freedom that I decided how far I wanted to go. Of course, I had to be home by six o'clock, but I mean, then I could just bike faster. I felt that it gave me uh, lightness. Uh, I felt that uh, it was uh, really great to play with. I mean, it was a fun toy, you know, going downhill or uh, making games with holding the balance or driving without your hands and, and, and stuff like that. Did you know that? 50% of all car rides in Europe are 10 kilometers or less. Uh, 30%, at least in Denmark, 30% of the car uh, rides are 5 kilometers or less. 5 kilometers is nothing on a bike. I mean, it takes you 20 minutes for an old, overweight man like me. It takes me 20 minutes to bike 5 kilometers. It's nothing. The bike has, is always an alternative. Of course, you cannot use the bike for all trips. I mean, that's obvious. I mean, I, and I personally, I hate when people ask me that question. Oh, did you arrive by bike? No, I did not arrive by bike because it's about 100 kilometers. And if, I mean, I can bike 100 kilometers, but that would take me about a day. So I don't waste my time with that. I come by train, I come by car. I normally say to people, think before every single trip you have to take. Think, I mean... What is the most sensible thing to do? 
in an everyday context, you will experience that the bike is by far the, 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 the most sensible choice. One thing we don't think about it that as really important while talking about bicycle infrastructures is our explanations. A rider wants to know what we expect from him. He wants to know what he has to do. You cannot get people to cycle without having the proper infrastructure. I mean, there is no point in just building one kilometer of bike lane and then other people start to... to uh, it is a, it's a complicated pattern that you have to create where things are very well connected, where uh, visually we recognize them, intuitively we are told where are we supposed to go. We give car drivers so many informations about what they're supposed to do. And we like that because, I mean, we like as people to kind of get some information what is expected of me. I have seen cities in Europe that have beautiful one kilometer bike lane and then it just ends. And just like, what am I supposed to do? I always say to all European countries, I mean, look to Denmark, look to, look to the Netherlands. We have, we have generations of experiences in doing that. As always, even if infrastructures are very well connected in Denmark, there are room for improvements. Klaus is looking now at two things that can change the way of cycling. Cargo bikes and e-bikes. Cargo bikes, because they are bigger than usual bikes. Are the infrastructure still adapted? E-bikes, because they can go faster than normal bikes. Should we ask them to go on the road with the cars? And what about e-cargo bikes? They are both bigger and faster. This brings again the question of safety. As Klaus explained it right before, we can't expect people to use their bike if they feel like they are going to die every time they use it. To summary, people use their bike in Denmark for ecological reasons, obviously, but also for freedom, because daily physical exercise prevents from diseases, because it is fast efficient and because it is safe. Biking is a commitment to the society, but the society needs to commit as well to make it safe and to make it worth. The main thing to remember is that biking has become a societal thing. It is not only for green reasons, or not only because it is a healthy way to move. It is a societal consensus, because people and politicians noticed that the benefits are high. It is worth it in terms of many aspects, economy, ecology, health, safety, efficiency, and so on. I mean, the way we build human beings is, is, is done in a way where a society will not have to pay uh, too much. But why then, if biking is such a benefit from many aspects, why then is it not implemented everywhere? Of course, we have talked about some advantages that Denmark has. It is a flat country and the cities are quite small. However, it can't be the only reason. Because, for instance, e-bikes are developed, so hill can be climbed without any efforts, and further destinations can be reached 
because it can go faster. Klaus Bondem explains a reason why the bike industry is still lagging way behind the car industry. According to him, the reason is marketing, lobbies in a way. Listen to him. There is also an element of marketing in this. I mean, trust me, the car industry have access to uh, unlimited resources. Uh, they have unlimited resources to communicate to you that the car is uh, the access to freedom. You very often see car commercials with cars driving around, either out in complete wild nature, where there's no one else, or in cities where there are no cars. It's very seldom that you, I mean, if the car industry would sell uh, the experience of being a car driver as being stuck in a queue on the highway, not knowing when you will get to your destination. I don't think they would sell so many cars. And it's, I think it's vital to understand that the bike industry never had access to, 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 to the same amount of funds. Um, it's extremely important to communicate, at, at least for me it's important to communicate, that, that, that we have to stop thinking that the car equals freedom. What equals freedom is access to mobility. Even in Denmark, we actually, we, we have in, in Denmark, the numbers from the Danish statistics is that around, I think it's 32 or 33% of Danish households do not have access to their private individual car. Of course, a lot of them are old seniors or very young students. In, but it's just interesting to know that, that if you look at how much the political debate is focused on highways. We need to build highways. There has to be highways for the car, uh, for the car traffic. It's just like, hey, listen, one third of the households, not one third of the person, but one third of the household do not have their own private individual car. I mean, shouldn't we talk about their mobility? I couldn't understand if it was only 2%. I would like to say, okay, that is really a minority. I mean, we, of course we have to consider the majority and da, da, da. We will make something for the 2%. But now we're talking about one in every third household that you see. And again, that makes no sense for me. I mean, of course we have to make sure that there is a an alternative with public transport. We have to make sure that there's an alternative with... Uh, walking and, and, and cycling infrastructure. It's, it's totally obvious for me. So maybe one final message. Bikes versus cars. It has not to be so extreme. Both are needed, but the way we used to or we still use them has to change. Some of my members are a bit like, I would never ever use a car and I would always go on the bike and, da, da, da. and I'm like, yeah, it's not possible in my life and it's not possible in most people's life. So, I mean, uh, let's not try to use that as an argument. Find that you found a way that that was what you could do. It's kind of the big discussion about, again, with meeting, eating meat or not eating meat. I mean, you have some people who are extremely fanatic about it and just like, <gasps> you are an animal killer and blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to that discussion. But the good thing about that discussion is is that a lot of people, including myself, we have learned now to have less meat in our uh, diet, to uh, eat meat of better quality, but in smaller portions. 
And I think that is a, I think it's a, it's, it's, it's a compromise that, that does make a change, but is also acceptable for a much wider group of people. Uh, instead of saying you will never allow to, you should never ever touch meat again. It's, and I have the same approach to the bicycle uh, discussion. I mean, my answer is normally, if you just think prior to every single tour that you're taking, could the bike be an alternative? And if you find out, yes, it could, well, then take the bike. Have a discussion about mobility in your home, uh, in your family. Like we do have, a, I know a lot of young people discuss with their parents on, I mean, how much meat do we eat? Uh, what sort of presents do we give each other? Uh, and I, I think, and that's, that's my private political point of view, is that, that I mean, ev everything starts with ourselves. Everything starts with that we need to engage in a discussion on how we consume, how we transport ourselves, how we build ourselves. And I'm so old that I've luckily seen that things do change. I mean, when I was young, for example, you could very often see people drunk driving. You could see people, you know, being drunk, going out, taking their car. That is socially completely unacceptable today. I mean, if I saw you on the way doing that, I would kind of take your car keys and say, no, 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 you are not going anywhere in a car. And I think we are approaching some of the same things, for example, with taking the plane to Thailand. Should you be allowed to see Thailand? Yes, I believe that, of course, you should be allowed to see, as a European, you should be allowed to see Asia one or two times in your lifetime. But I don't think it's okay to go to Thailand twice a year and then we will basically also spend Christmas in Mexico. And maybe we could squeeze in South Africa in, during Easter. I mean, I, I think that is... If somebody said that to a dinner, I would say, have you ever considered having a holiday in our wonderful own country? I just think that, that we are happily in a process where we're learning uh, that some things just don't work any longer that way. I hope you enjoyed this so interesting topic, which is a, a current debate in our societies. Thank you so much for listening until the end. And as usual, don't hesitate to give me your feedback on the official Wayari International accounts. And stay tuned in my next and last episode of the good news for the environment around me, which means in Copenhagen, I will tell you more about how to create an episode from the beginning until the end. And don't forget, one voice, one person can inspire the world. Once Wayari, forever Wayari. See you soon for a new episode of the good news for the environment around me. And let us know what are the good news for the environment around you.